Are you dealing with divorcing or co-parenting with a narcissist? Are you struggling with reclaiming your identity and who you really are after years of being in a relationship like that? We know that getting out of a toxic relationship that involves trauma and emotional abuse and moving on from a narcissist is extremely difficult. And those are some of the things we're talking about in today's episode of the Divorce Etc. podcast. We're the ex-experts, Jessica and TH. We focus on helping you navigate your divorce and successfully moving on with your life. Please follow us on all social media at xexperts and check out xexperts.com for tons of free divorce-related resources. Let's bring in today's guest. Hey guys, it's TH here. We are excited to have Matthew Pfeiffer with us. He is a trained therapist, but he certainly wears many hats. And he, through his own personal experience of a difficult relationship, has now taken that and made it a superpower to help others cope with everything, with relationships. And today we are talking about smear campaigns and some coined uh, words that you're gonna hear are emotional intelligence. So we're gonna check you in on that. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you, thank you thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. We're really glad to have you because this is actually such a, like I hate to say popular, but really difficult and complex topic overall. Yeah. I mean, when our ex-experts community reaches out to us via DM or emailing or through our newsletter um, back and forth, there is so much about toxic relationships and people identifying with having been in relationships with narcissists. And a lot of the questions on the legal end end mm -hmm. up being like, what do I do when I'm in a situation when all they're doing is trying to smear my name, yep. mm -hmm. it's like your first gut reaction is like, I, I have to do whatever I can mm -hmm. to set the record straight and clean it all up. And, and where does someone even start? <laughs> where someone is. So I tell people who I've worked with that the smear campaign is actually where your healing begins. Because uh, oftentimes people, uh, it's actually the one time that I actually defend the other person. And it's very difficult for people to hear and for people to understand. But where, where, uh, what I mean by that is that they're allowed to have their opinion about you. They're allowed to think whatever they want. They're allowed to think that you're the villain in the story. They're allowed to think that um, they're allowed to say whatever they want. They're allowed to have their own story. And that's the part that's very difficult for people to hear and for people to mm. adjust to, especially when people are struggling with codependency and people pleasing. And that's actually the la a large part of the problem with a smear campaign. Now, obviously, we don't want anyone to, to say or say things that, that aren't true or anything like that. But uh, the reality of it is, is that they're allowed to. And there's not much that you can do about it. And and a, a large part of people pleasing is that we always want to fix uh, what other people think about us and fix what other people, we, we don't want to feel that guilt that we may have been the problem in someone else's life or someone else's story. We don't want other people to, to think negatively of us. And oftentimes that causes us to engage into unhealthy behavior to try to, to try to overcorrect what other people think and what other people are saying and, and those sorts of things. And so I tell people to not do anything. And outside of outside of actually, you know, some smear campaigns can get to a point where 
it can affect you at work and that sort of thing. And, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But in terms of the things that they're saying on social media, in terms of the things that they might be saying to your friends, to your family, uh, to sit back. And I tell people that the people who are actually on, who are, are really actually on your side and the ones that are, are really going to be there for you um, thick and thin, they're going to show themselves in a situation like this. And the ones who you might need to remove from your life, guess what? You're going to, that's going to become very apparent as well. So that's the point where the good and the bad separate and the toxic mm -hmm. are blaringly clear. And that's yeah. when, you know, that's when your friend groups change. I mean, we, mm -hmm. for me personally, um, not much changed, but I found people toxic, not so much with, you know, I don't know, engaging in the conversation with him, mm -hmm. but coming to me with it, Yep. you know, and that's yep. like, that's extremely uncomfortable. So how do you do that when someone comes to you and says, did you hear mm -hmm. what he said or she said about you? What are the right ways to respond to that? Because I feel like you're never really going to be prepared. Never really going to be prepared, but the boundary that you need to set is actually with the person who is bringing that information to you. Right, delivering. So, you can, so there's a handful of things that sometimes they mean well. Sometimes it might be someone who is still uh, friends with them on Facebook. They might be doing that because they you hear people say, like, I don't want to get involved. But them doing that, they actually are getting involved. And so uh, I always tell people to have a handful of sayings, a, a great book in terms of, of dealing with different phrases to combat certain situations like this um, is um, the book is called The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists. Uh, it's a book I recommend to, to any and everyone that that is dealing with in situations like this. But the boundary needs to be set with with the person who's bringing that information to you. So you can you can kindly tell them. You know, listen, they're they're allowed to think whatever they want. Exactly what we said. They're allowed to think whatever they want. They're welcome to their story. I have my own story. Uh, and you can kindly tell them like, you know, listen, it's, uh, you know, I that's not something that's not a conversation I really want to want to engage into, you know, and oftentimes they're bringing that that information to you when you're at a party, when you're at work or whatever right. the case is. So bring the bring the conversation back to what you're actually there for. You know, hey, listen, I'm not here to talk about my ex. Aren't we here for drinks? I thought we were here to watch the game. Yeah, you know, right. Like, I, I, you know, let's talk about your ex, you know, like in the joke. Right. You know, let, let, let's talk about all the things that your ex did. You want to talk about your ex? And of course, they're going to say no. Like, listen, I don't want to talk about it either, you know, and um, it, it can feel very uncomfortable, mainly because of what we talked about before, because of your desire to please people, your desire the the your desire to correct everything. But if you think about it, it, you can't correct it anyway. You know, there's nothing, there's no beginning and there's no end to it. And oftentimes, the more that you engage into trying to correct it, the worse the behavior, the worse the smear came smear campaign gets. Because what happens is that that person oftentimes will go back to the other person, go back to the narcissist, go back to your ex. They'll tell them what they what you're saying, and what happens is that they know that this is bothering you, that this is getting underneath your skin, which is the the whole point. So if they know that it's bothering you, then guess what? They're just going to continue to ramp it up. But if yeah. they don't think that this is affecting you whatsoever, then guess what? 
eventually this game that they're playing becomes very boring. I tell people that dogs don't bark at parked cars. They bark at they bark at the moving ones. The the dog wants you to stop. And that's actually the whole point of the smear campaign is that and and to go back to this whole people pleasing our own uh you know this is uh, you know a sign for us to actually heal because what happens is that the reason why they're doing the smear campaign is that they want to be a wedge between you and happiness they want to be a wedge between you and a new relationship right. they want to be a wedge between you and you having a good relationship with your kids or friendships or whatever the case is and mm-hmm. so they literally, just like I was talking about with the with that dog, they literally want you to stop. The person who's doing the smear, smearing, they actually see your potential. They actually see that you could pro- possibly get that promotion that they're trying to stop you from. They see that you have the potential of being in a healthy relationship to be a great parent, to be a great friend. And if you're able to do those things, then guess what? It actually makes them look bad, which is right. the whole point of the smear campaign. Is right. to get you to stop your momentum, so to actually correct and to actually, uh, to actually correct the smear campaign or to uh, combat it, engage. you don't want to. You don't want to engage. You don't want to stop your momentum, and you actually want to actually achieve the things that you're the success that you're actually going after, right? Not over time, not necessarily you know overnight or anything like that, but. You know, you want to go to therapy. You want to take care of yourself. You want to surround yourself with people who are healthy. You want to have a good time. You want to uh, continue to be a good parent because that those are the things that they actually want you to stop. They want you to still be thinking about them and and those sorts of things. I, I, are we allowed to cuss here? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I, I tell my clients to shine the absolute shit out of them, <laughs> to actually go like to achieve the things that they kept telling you that you're not able to do. Uh, to, you know, you weren't able to buy a house. You're not able to do this. You're not able to do that. Go do those things. Be rebellious to the things that you were conditioned to not being able to do. And that's how you actually correct the smear campaign. Because over time, you know, uh, again, it's not going to take days or weeks, but over the course of a few years, what happens is that when they're telling people that you can't write that book or you can't start that business or whatever, and then you go do those things, what happens is that they look back at that other person. I thought you said that they weren't capable right. of maintaining their finances. You said they were a terrible parent. You said they were this and you said they were all this. And then what happens is that that smear campaign actually flips up upside down on its head because you were able to achieve everything that they said that you're not able to do or you couldn't do without them or whatever the case is. Right. You're discrediting. <laughs> you're showing them with your actions that you're discrediting yeah. everything that they've been saying to people. But I have a, a, a deeper question. So mm-hmm. clearly, oftentimes, these smear campaigns are happening like in sort of your personal life. You're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, your friends, your family, your colleagues and things like that. How do you suggest someone handles it when it starts getting into the actual legal battle of the divorce? They're saying things that you know to be patently untrue, unfounded rumors, et cetera, to their lawyer who now is giving them to a judge and your life is hanging in the balance in terms of what your child custody situation could end up looking like, what your parenting agreement is gonna look like. How do you handle that aspect of a smear campaign that's happening in the legal side of things. So you have to remember that they still have to prove those things. It still has to be provable. They still have to come, they still have to show evidence of certain certain things. And 
sometimes they do actually have evidence. That's where people actually have to be very careful. Sometimes we may have actually engaged into some unhealthy behavior. Maybe you cussed that person out. Maybe you actually did hit them back because of reactive abuse and those sorts of things. And so if that's the case, let's let's go with the, the true scenario or they do have some, some evidence, even if it's shallow evidence, showing that this proving that you're you're the bad person or whatever. You actually want to fall on your sword in that situation. Of course, you want to allow for your lawyer to take the lead and you want to get legal advice on how to do that and, and how to. Uh, what I mean by fall on your sword is that courts don't expect for you to be perfect. The only person who expects expects for you to be perfect is is yes. your ex. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you. and you, uh, yeah, and so yeah, and so you. So let's say that they, you know, you want to fall on your sword. You know what? Um, I we it was a very contentious time uh during that time period um maybe it was a very dark time and you you had a dui or something some some uh, scenario like that and you want to be able to show that that may have been true at that point in time in your life but it's no longer true now so if you uh were engaged in reactive abuse yeah i had a bad moment we you know we we were in the in the uh in in the moment of a scuffle or whatever the case is you know, um, I, you know, I, that's been well documented in, in uh, today and or over the course of time in, in the courtroom. Since then, I've gone to therapy. I've learned about uh, more emotional intelligence. Here are the five dates of therapy since I since that time time period. I've learned a lot about myself, and these are the things that I'm doing moving forward, right? And uh, and of course, your your lawyer should be able to paint a, a bigger picture of what that looks like but that's how you want to handle it if it's true and if it's and if it's not true and if they don't have any evidence you simply say that it's just not true right you simply it, it, this just isn't true your, your honor if they can if the if your ex isn't able to provide evidence then there's nothing there's not really anything to argue but one of one of the the biggest concern that a lot of people do is that they try to prove not to the judge they feel like they have to prove to their ex so they go back and forth in the, on the phone, and then that's where it becomes problematic, because what happens is that when your your ex takes all of that evidence to the courtroom, it looks like both of you guys are are losing it, right? It just right. looks like a bunch of back and forth, right. you know. And so you actually lose a lot of credibility in court. So you just don't want to engage in that behavior, and that's the reason why I tell people that it's that your ex is allowed to think whatever they want, right? Let them let them text themselves back and forth. You know, you did this and all <laughs> that would have been nice. You don't, have to, you don't always have to respond to all these things. And so you don't always have to show up to every single argument. Honestly, I, um, I was quiet. Mine was a smear campaign, but, and, and within my, um, within my divorce process mm-hmm. and in Jersey, they don't really care about your character. Mm-hmm. Give us the facts and that's it. And the truth is many of his actions showed his character. Mm-hmm. So I didn't say anything. But he tried relentlessly to make mm-hmm. it seem like I was bad. I had to go to custody experts. I had to go to employability experts. I was questioned on my spending. I was questioned on having a phone. Like all, I'm just saying to all of you, what Matt's saying is 100% right, but it doesn't take away the fact that it is a completely humbling experience. Yeah. I was questioned on my intelligence, my education and my parenting. And those are things that are among the top things that I'm proud of in my life. And he was trying to prove otherwise, which failed at a huge expense in terms of dollars. Yeah. 
So yes, everything Matt's saying with a small little butt on the end that it's hard, it sucks. It's the same negative voice you heard when you were married, when you're getting through your divorce, maybe even after it's done. So going to therapy and like building your muscle, we, we talked about it in a post, like it's time to flex, flex your brain muscle, flex your resilience, flex your, you know, strength, show yourself your strength. So I, I totally, let me just take a quick break here no um, because we know it's hard to get honest and reliable information about your divorce and life in general. Hold on one second, I'm sorry. Hey guys, we know it's hard to get honest and reliable information about your divorce and life in general. So we've done the work for you with ex-experts and our Divorce Etc. podcast. Jess and I had one another to ask all of the questions and figure out the answers. And now you have us. We are your no bullshit, no nonsense girlfriends through divorce and beyond. Ask us anything about life and all that comes with it. Be sure to subscribe to our nuclear. <laughs> oh my God. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter to get ex experts in your inbox and find out all of the updates on our podcasts and events. Don't miss out on information and tips you really need to know going through your divorce and beyond. You can get all of this at xexperts.com, E X E X P E R T S.com. We've lived it, so we get it. If you're thinking about getting divorced or in the process and concerned your spouse is hiding things from you, then you might want to contact Lost and Found Forensics. They can help you leverage digital evidence through cell phone forensics, which can give you a serious advantage. If you believe you aren't being told the full story, Lost and Found Forensics can use the cell phone forensics on your spouse's phone to help investigate and discover hidden assets, fund transfers, unknown credit cards, and bank accounts. This info can help you gain leverage and negotiate a better settlement. Lost and Found Forensics can also use your spouse's cell phone forensics to reveal gambling, drug use, and excessive shopping, and evidence of them manipulating finances in anticipation of the divorce by using Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal to sell or receive unclaimed income, or even using third-party apps to spy on you electronically. All of this can be a powerful tool to help present evidence of wrongdoing in court and ensure you receive what you're entitled to in your settlement. For more info, go to lostandfoundforensics.com. Okay, Matt, I cut you off and I blundered. (laughs) Yeah, along along, uh, with what, what you were saying, one of the things that really, really helps people who are going through that situation where your ex is question is having whether it's them or their lawyer questioning everything that you're doing, every little detail that you're doing uh, in court is to understand your rights. So one of the things that I did, and uh, in, in when I was in, in my career was I was a liaison between family court and uh, CPS, and so I was in family court, heard everything, and one of the things that people talk wait about tell my- everybody what CPS stands for because not everybody knows. Um, child child protective services. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I would work with children who were taken out of extremely, extremely abusive situations. And I'd have to do the home visits within, and I was work, I was living in New York state at the time and their biological parents would have 15 months to be able to get their stuff together, um, correct their behavior and to try to get their kids back out of foster care. And I would oversee all of that and attend family court and you know, and one of the things that was talked about quite often behind the scenes is, is it disagreeable or is it unacceptable? 
Because what happens is that a lot of times when people are in, are in or coming out of an, an abusive situation, that that's a gray line that they that they really just don't understand. And so we we would work with the parents. And and where I'm going with this is that a lot of times with your ex, they'll question you about something that's disagreeable. It's not unaccept. Uh, it's not a, unacceptable. Like you you mentioned, you had a phone. Who cares? Or does not care, right? Uh, let's uh, let's even extend it to something that uh, is that is that some people would consider is just absolutely horrendous. Let's say that you actually did cheat, and your ex is bringing that up. Court, guess what? In most states, they don't care. In our care. states, no fault, does no fault care. states. Right. And so, a lot of times, you're when you understand your rights and you understand that 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 line of disagreeable versus unacceptable, you start to realize that I don't, even if I did make some mistakes, whether it was intentional or unintentional, or, you know, I had a bad reaction to something my ex was doing while over the course of over 10 years of us being together, because guess what? The, the likelihood is that you did. Um, God forbid you you were late dropping your kids off uh, at school or whatever the case is. Courts don't, doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, and and so you start to find out that a lot of these little these little details, these little nuances that your your ex is bringing up, it's not going to affect the case the way that they're even threatening you to um, threatening through text and through phone calls. It just triggers you. All it does yeah. is trigger you. Mm -hmm. And I Which love hurts. Yeah. like those terms, like yeah. for people to think about. You know, is it disagreeable or is it unacceptable? And honestly, like even turning that back to yourself, I think is really mm -hmm. like learning yeah. for yourself and what your responsibility is and being able to acknowledge, like there may have been things that you've done that are disagreeable, doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's unacceptable and understanding like you can't micromanage on the other side. So they may be right. doing something that's totally disagreeable to you, but if it's not unacceptable, you're going to have to learn to live with it. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the whole emotional intelligence side of all of this, because we we found that to be really interesting. I want to make sure we get some of that in. Yeah. Uh, so when when it comes to emo that's really what I that's a large part of what I do now is I teach people emotional intelligence. So you kind of know when to show up in terms of an argument, a disagreement. We sometimes you start to realize that I don't really have to show up for this argument. I don't have to show up for this disagreement. And so um, in, in, in emotional intelligence, you're really in tune with yourself. You're, um, you know, you've, you've kind of done the work. You really have a good sense of self-awareness of where your trigger points are, things that, um, you know, where your limits are as a person. And uh, when, you when you have that level of emotional intelligence, there's certain things that, that you start to do. So your ex sends you a text and most people uh, you get triggered immediately when you get that when you get that text and you go into fight or flight. And what happens is that when you are in the relationship, you're conditioned to respond to them right here, right now, every single time. And what happens, and that was kind of a large part of how you got into that situation to begin with, is that manipulation, people who are highly manipulative, they don't they want you to react and they don't want you responding. So they'll say things like, you know, it's been five minutes. I can't believe you haven't responded. And so what happens is that you start you start responding just to please them instead of thinking about the text that they actually sent you. So people who are more emotionally intelligent, 
will feel will feel triggered and realize that I should not respond right here right now mm. because this I would not give my best I'm not giving my best in this situation I'm only responding to relieve this trigger and relieve the anxiety a lot of people who are who are kind of early on in the healing process think that the anxiety is the problem when ang- we all feel anxiety it's actually just a part of who you are as a person and when you understand why and where that anxiety and where the trigger comes from and understand that triggers are your friend they're not the enemy what happens mm-hmm. is that you start to respond better and you start to delay those responses and so a lot of people would people who are early in their healing might say like yeah but if i don't respond right away they're going to get angry right when you're emotionally intelligent you start to realize that their anger is not your responsibility right because true healthy boundaries is understanding who's responsible for what they're responsible for their feelings their anger their resentment or whatever the case is and you're responsible for how you're going to respond how you're going to react to some of your anxiety your triggers those sorts of things and so when we talk about emotional intelligence it, it really uh, helps you navigate not only situations like this, but even situations at work and with coworkers helps you maintain healthy relationships. And it also lets you know, like maybe people we need to keep at a distance as well. I love I have- everything you're saying. Cause I feel like for everyone listening, you know, TH has talked so much about the lessons that she learned that her, her, her therapist helped her with, which was like being able to separate the facts from the noise yeah. and understanding when to respond and how to respond. And everything that you're saying is completely reinforcing that because it really is about recognizing, do you have to jump just because they're reaching out? It reminds me of like this old expression, which by the way, I've used on my kids before, like your lack of preparation does not constitute an emergency on my part. Okay. Just because you waited until the last minute and now you need X, Y, and Z, you're expecting me to get up and go run and yeah. fix it for you. Like, that's not my problem. This is something no. that should have been prepared for in advance. It's a little bit of a weak analogy, but I, I really- No, it's what, it's 100% true yeah. because my yeah. ex used to call and tell me I had to go do something. If I didn't do it right away, I mean, I don't even know what would have happened because I did it right away. So the, like I, the most, it, the, it most of the urgent. time they, most of the time they put the kids in it. If you don't do this right away, the kids are going to miss their baseball game. Right. Right. And, I t- and, and when you're emotionally you intelligent, have to do it. let them feel like you have let the, to do it. Right. Let the kids miss their baseball game. Yeah. But, but it, then it, they're going to, but then they're going to, you know, and then it's your the fault. Gonna, right. And then it's your but, fault. And then you're a bad parent. And then it just snowballs from there. Mm-hmm. But the emotional well, we intelligence. Th- we think we think that we're going to be labeled a bad parent, but oftentimes the kids start to recognize, and so what right. happens? And what what what's interesting is that we always want our kids to be able to see what's happening, but when you let go of control, they are able to see what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And then a- later on in life, they're able to make clo- make better decisions about how how they want to set boundaries themselves. We we talk about cream rising to the top all the time. Listen, this takes time. It took me a long time. I did have the most amazing therapist. Um, I didn't even know that she was going to be that amazing for the purpose that I had her, but it just really worked out. And I remember stepping outside of myself. My ex had just left and I was literally standing in front of the pantry with the door open, looking at all the snacks. And I'm like, I literally stepped outside of myself. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. I'm hungry. This right. is him. This isn't me. Right. Shut the door. 
and, but it takes time to get to that place. But once you guys do get to that place, it's going to be so obvious. So the number one tip that I got was no matter what, if it's a text, a phone call, an email, they're in front of you, they're coming, whatever, take a minute. Mm -hmm. You have to take a minute because your reaction might not lead to the result that you intend. So you have to take a minute and absorb it and do not respond until you are 100% ready. Yep. Do not run for anything. Really think it through. And if you practice just taking a minute, that's hard enough. Right. Mm -hmm. It really is hard. It's a very small task to master, but it is not easy. But but you can start with that mm -hmm. and then, you know, grow into where Matt is saying. And honestly, I mean, I'm 15 years out. I'm not saying it takes 15 years. It definitely doesn't. But there are going to be little nuggets. And you're like, okay, did it. Okay, good. Okay, did another one. Oh, I, I screwed up again. You're just going to have your eyes open and then you'll be able to see what Matt's talking about. And then you'll be able to control and, and get the support that you need. Yeah. In, in all areas of your life, like you said, it's relevant, could be with your parents based on whatever those relationships are, your siblings, your friends. So this has all been really enlightening. And Matt, we really appreciate it because we feel like this is messaging that a lot of people in our community really need. And, um, and it is hard. It's hard and people need to feel like they're not alone and they need to understand that it's not their fault. It's just about learning what they can do moving forward to be able to uh, be their most productive in ways that are not going to incite whoever their ex is. So thank I, you so much. Wait, I, I wanna, I sorry, I need like a quick little bonus thing because all, all of this is making me feel like, listen, you felt like the victim for so long and how to take that hat off. Do you have one more closing tip as far as that's concerned? Cause I know that that's definitely how I felt. And then I didn't want people to pity me but like, I am a victim here. I am, mm -hmm. I am the subject of abuse and the object of abuse. And so can you give, I know, I know that's going to be a whole other podcast, but a loaded question. Can you, can you give a teaser here? Give a girl, <laughs> give a girl a line. <laughs> uh, and to, I just want to make sure I'm answering the question properly to take off the victim hat and to uh, and, not and feel to... like you're a victim anymore. That's all part of, so this whole smear campaign is basically continuance of your marriage and the negative messages that have been put in your head and you've always been a victim, right? So now yeah. you're supposed to be the victor. You're supposed to be the creator. How do you transition? That's totally another podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we could definitely talk about talk about that a lot. But um, what I tell people, because I'm very big on people not staying in victim, very, very big on it to a point where some people don't even like my content because of it. But the uh, I tell people to focus on what you can learn from the situation. And rather than uh, I, I tell people I've worked with or in my lives or in my podcast, I don't allow for people to point the finger at the narcissist. And um, people get really upset by that. But people who have done the work actually get start to understand why I say that. Because if you start to focus in on the things that you can, the lessons that you can learn, um, you now are empowering yourself and now what happens is that pulling yourself out of victim mode, you start to realize that I can actually keep myself safe from this ever happening again. And so no, the things that happen to you are 100% not your fault. 
but it is a hundred percent your responsibility to make sure that these things don't happen again and to learn learn lessons and so and that all becomes a large part of the part of your healing to put those pieces together of well i get that i'm not responsible for the abuse or the manipulation but how did I get into that situation to begin with? Right. A hundred percent. And how do I make sure, you know, and now that I know people out like out, are, are out there are like this, how do I make sure that this never happens again? And Correct. I have a responsibility to make sure that my kids don't end up in situations like this. And the yeah. best way to prevent your kids from getting in a situation like that is to take responsibility for your healing, educating yourself and to make sure it doesn't happen again. This oh my God, I feel so good. I just feel like I got an A. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I and we are going to have to have all the like... time. I, I, I am accountable for allowing somebody to treat me mm. like shit. Yeah. I'm putting myself in that spot. And how do mm. I not get there anymore? You just totally validated everything I've been working on. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Matt. Mic drop. We would love to have you back to talk more in depth about this because like the three of us are all saying, like it's just something that's yeah. so important for a lot of people to be able to learn these lessons and learn the strategies to be able to get through it. So really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all of that. And for everyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode of the Divorce Etc. podcast with the ex-experts today, then please help a girl out. When you subscribe, rate, and review, it helps us get the word out so we can support more people like you going through divorce and beyond. Check the show notes for more info on Matt, and of course, share with anyone you know who can benefit from listening. Have a great day.